0: An eleven-year-old boy has been kidnapped. He was last seen getting off the number thirty-five bus on his way home on the final school day before the autumn holiday. He's now been missing for three days, and is considered to be in mortal danger. The police have arrested the chief suspect. He was captured after picking up a ransom of one million euros. The ransom had been demanded in a note left on the gate of the boy's home, and had been dropped, as agreed, at a trolley stop on a Sunday night.' Instead of releasing the boy, the man went on a spending spree with his million euros. He booked a foreign holiday. He ordered a C-class Mercedes. The police are as certain as they can be that they have the guilty man, a tall, powerfully built law student who'd previously been employed to give the boy extra tutoring. Now they urgently need to locate the boy. They don't know how long they have to save his life. Is he locked away in a cellar without access to water and food?' The interrogation of the law student begins. The clock ticks, and ticks, and ticks, and ticks. A search involving one thousand police, helicopters, and tracker dogs yields nothing, and after seven hours of questioning, the suspect has still not given up the boy's whereabouts. The police officer in charge writes down an instruction to the interrogators. They are to threaten to torture the suspect. A specialist will be flown in, they tell the suspect, whose function it will be to inflict unimaginable pain until they extract the information they need. The suspect cracks. He reveals where the boy is being held. This kidnapping occurred in Germany in 2002. The kidnapper was Magnus Gifken, a law student in his mid-twenties. The victim, Jakob von Metzler, was the heir to a fortune. His father ran Germany's oldest family-owned bank. The story does not have a happy ending. Frightened, under pressure, faced with a horrifying ordeal, Gifken told the police that Jakob could be found at a lake near Frankfurt. When they arrived, they discovered the boy's body. He'd already been killed and was in a sack wrapped in plastic and still dressed in the blue top and sand-coloured trousers in which he'd last been spotted. The case became, a course, célèbre, not just because Jakob came from a prominent family, but more especially after allegations surfaced of the torture threat. Frankfurt's deputy police chief, Wolfgang Dashner, who had written the torture note, gave various interviews to the press. He'd faced a stark choice, he said. I can just sit on my hands and wait until maybe Gefkin eventually decides to tell the truth, and in the meantime the child is dead, or I do everything I can now— to prevent that from happening, the torture threat, apparently, had not been an idle one. A martial arts trainer had been put on call. The police believed the suspect could be hurt without lasting physical damage being inflicted upon him. There were expressions of outrage at Dashner's behaviour. One MP from the Green Party warned that if you open the window even just a crack, the cold air of the Middle Ages will fill the whole room. But Dashner also had vocal supporters, and polls showed that the majority of Germans believed the threat was a reasonable means of potentially saving a life. When in court, Gifgen's lawyer attempted to use the torture threat to have the case dismissed, spectators were heard to grumble, Incredible! How many rights does he want for this guy? And amidst the uproar from human rights groups, Dashner commented, Not one single person has been able to tell me what I should have done there could be no trolleyology without deontology. Deontology states that there are certain things, like torture, that you just shouldn't do. We mustn't take an entirely impersonal perspective on morality. An individual's well-being shouldn't just be stirred and dissolved into some giant vat of well-being soup. We can't torture someone to death, even if this would save five lives, even if it would, in the utilitarian sense, contribute to the total sum of happiness." Some deontologists are absolutists. For them, nothing could ever justify torture. But most accept that in certain circumstances, deontology constraints can be overridden, for example, if the future of the planet is at stake. Central to the history of deontology was an eighteenth-century professor, the guru of Königsberg, a city then in East Prussia, now a Russian enclave renamed Kaliningrad, Immanuel Kant. Kant made major contributions in numerous areas of philosophy, not just ethics. He is among